Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to our Midweek Bible Study 2022 Summer Edition. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and it's a joy to be with you today. It is Wednesday, July 20th. We're continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians, taking on tough issues. Last week, we looked at the subject of marriage and gained an understanding of Paul's view on marriage and the importance of that sacred institution. And we were reminded that whatever our marital status, we should wholeheartedly serve the Lord. Today in part seven, we'll examine what Paul says about discipline in the Christian life and about being a powerful witness for the Lord. I'll tell you a lot more in just a moment, but right now, join me in an opening word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the amazing gift of life. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your incredible sacrifice. Lord, open our hearts and minds to receive your truths today. Help us to understand what it is to have discipline in our life. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Playing a piano concerto, running a marathon, performing a lead role in a play. These are all accomplishments that require a lot of self-discipline. We admire people who can do these things. But how often do we think about the discipline needed to live the Christian life successfully? Well, I have a few opening questions for you that are designed to help us share our thoughts about self-discipline. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Question number one. When you were in high school, what extracurricular activities were you involved in the most? Maybe it was sports or band or choir, perhaps the drama club, maybe the chess or debate teams, cheerleading, or maybe a drill team. How about it? In high school, what extracurricular activities were you involved in the most? You know, it's funny. I thought that the choir and so forth, those things related to music were extracurricular, but really they weren't. They were actually part of our day. You had to have a class, you know, it was maybe an elective, but that's what I was involved in for three years. The concert choir, the men's barbershop, heavily involved, but that wasn't considered extracurricular. But I did do one extracurricular activity for three years, and that was I had the privilege of playing on the varsity golf team in high school. What a joy that was. Question two, what disciplines were necessary in order for you to participate in the activity that you just identified? And how good were you at those disciplines? Well, patience was a big discipline, and that involved the mental aspect of the game as well as the physical. Another discipline was practice. I did spend quite a bit of time practicing hitting balls as well as playing rounds of golf when I wasn't competing. Now, was I any good at those disciplines? Well, that's another story. I was not very good at being patient, especially mentally. I wasn't mature enough to handle and execute a more measured approach to each shot and staying within myself during a match. I often gave in to negative emotions and would defeat myself before I ever finished playing a complete round, and that oftentimes had a negative effect on how the round turned out. As for practicing, I can really say in all truth that I practiced regularly. I just loved either going to the driving range or shagging golf balls in the field. I really just enjoyed doing that. Question three, what requires the most discipline for you? Maybe eating properly, getting enough exercise, taking time for my family, getting projects done around the house, maybe reading your Bible, or spending time in prayer, what would it be? Boy, this just gets to the heart of it, doesn't it? 
definitely eating properly and getting enough exercise. I don't have consistent discipline in those areas for sure. But I still need to improve my discipline in daily Bible reading and prayer. Yes, I have the responsibility of serving at a church, and you'd think that that's just a normal thing, but sometimes I wrestle with that. But I have made good progress in those areas, but I know I can still do better, and I am. Hope you are too. All right, enough with our opening questions. Let's get to the Bible study. Self-control is a popular theme in Paul's letters. He emphasizes it as a defining characteristic for the follower of Christ. However, as we all have experienced at times, it's hard to maintain. Well, our text today is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 27. So open your Bible or Bible apps to 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 27. And as you do, and as we read these verses together, I want you to note how we can encourage each other to live a disciplined life and have self-control. This is going to be great. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 9, starting with verse 19. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. And when I am with the Gentiles, who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Wow, that is an entirely powerful section of scripture. Let's take it apart and see what it means today as we look at the discipline for the Christian life. Starting out with verse 19, it reads, Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Here's the first question. What does it mean that Paul made himself a slave to all people in order to bring many people to Christ? Freedom and slavery were key ideas for Paul. The contrast between servants and masters in the ancient world was much more pronounced than the divide between rich and poor or between owner and employee as seen in modern culture. These ideas describe how Paul viewed himself in relation to God, to the law of Moses, and to other people. Now, in the verses leading up to this one, Paul has written of himself as a trusted slave of Christ under orders to preach the gospel message. He carries out that duty because he must. Like the Old Testament prophets, he sees himself as having no choice in the matter. He believes himself to be free, on the other hand, when it comes to those he serves. This was true both legally and spiritually. As a Roman citizen, Paul was truly free and not a bonded servant or slave. He enjoyed the rights given to every true citizen of Rome. In addition, he had been freed from responsibility to the law of Moses by his faith in Christ, so he owed nothing to the Jewish religious leaders. And yet Paul now says that he has voluntarily declared himself a servant, a slave of all people. In other words, 
he believes that his mission to reach people with the gospel of Jesus includes placing himself under the authority of everyone in a sense. For Paul, both freedom and discipline were important tools to be used in God's service. Number two, verse 20 reads, When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. Here's the question. To what extent was Paul willing to go to bring people to Christ? Paul never compromised the doctrines of Scripture. Very important to note. And he never changed God's word in order to make it more palatable to people in any given place. He never went against God's law or his own conscience. But in matters that did not violate any principle of God's word, Paul was willing to become one of his audience in order to bring them to Christ. Three groups of people are mentioned in these verses, the Jews, the Gentiles, and those with weak consciences. When speaking to the Jews, Paul conformed his life to the practices of those who follow the Jewish laws, even though he himself was no longer subject to the law. Why? Because of his freedom in Christ. But if Paul had gone into a Jewish synagogue to preach, all the while flouting the Jewish laws and showing no respect for their laws and customs because of his freedom in Christ, he would have offended the very people he came to share Jesus with. That's a good lesson for us. By adapting himself to them, by conforming to their regulations and restrictions, remember, Paul had been a Pharisee. He had gained an audience so that he might bring them to Christ. Again, Paul was careful never to violate any of God's commands in his attempt to serve his listeners. He never conceded that those regulations had to be kept in order for people to become believers, but he conformed to the laws to help the Jews come to Christ. The line was difficult to walk, as we're told in the book of Galatians, when Paul rebuked Peter for acting like a Jew among the Gentiles. You can read about that in Galatians 2, verses 11 to 21. Number three, verse 21 reads, When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. Here's the question. In this verse, Paul addresses the second group of people he was ministering to. Who were they? And what did he do? As Paul conformed himself to the Jews, he also conformed himself to the second group, the Gentiles, who did not follow the Jewish law. Paul met them on their own turf, fitting in as much as he could. This did not mean that Paul had thrown aside all restraints and was living like a pagan in hopes of winning the pagans to Christ. As he explained, he did not ignore the law of God. Paul lived according to God's law and his conscience, but he did not put aside but he did not put undue constraints on his Gentile audiences. Unlike some false teachers of the day, they were called Judaizers. And unlike them, Paul did not require the Gentiles to follow the Jewish laws in order to become believers. Instead, he spoke a message that would gain their confidence and bring them to Christ. What a great lesson for us as well. There's just so much in these verses, aren't there? Continuing on, number four, verses 22 and 23, they read, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Here's the question. In these verses, Paul addresses the third group of people he was ministering to. Who are they, and how did Paul relate to them? 
This group of people had weak consciences, sometimes called oppressed in other Bible translations. Paul actually discussed this more in the previous chapter, chapter 8. I would encourage you to go back and read that. It'll give you a great understanding as you come into this chapter we're studying today. Now, in that chapter, chapter 8, Paul had explained that believers who were free in Christ ought to set aside certain freedoms in the presence of another believer with a more sensitive conscience. Paul followed his own advice, saying that he shared the people's weaknesses, meaning he had set aside his freedoms and had lived by their constraints for a time so that he might bring them to Christ. The weak were already believers. That's important to understand. But they needed to grow into a deeper knowledge of Christ and a deeper understanding of their freedom in Christ. Paul did this delicately, becoming as they were in order to gain their listening ears. He chose to find common ground with everyone, the Jews, the Gentiles, and those with weak consciences in order that some might be saved. Amen to that. Number five, verses 24 and 25 say, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Here's the question. What is Paul's overriding theme in these verses and why is it important? Paul's exhortations in the previous verses for the believers to give up their own rights, to think of others first, to be wholehearted in their focus on bringing others to Christ, called upon the Christians to deny themselves as they looked forward to their future reward. Paul compares this to a race, picturing the ancient games. You see, the Olympics were already operating in Paul's time. Second in popularity only to the Olympics, the Isthmian games were celebrated every two years in Corinth. Athletes would come from all over Greece and the winners of those games were accorded the highest honor. To get into the games and especially to emerge as victors required that athletes practice strict self-control. Typically for 10 months prior to the games, the athletes in training denied themselves many ordinary pleasures. Each put forth their greatest efforts during the contest, setting aside all else in order to win the prize. When Paul told the believers to be like those athletes, he did not mean that the believers were all running against each other with only one actually winning. Instead, he wanted every believer to run in such a way that they would win. In other words, every believer should be putting out the kind of effort for the reward of God's kingdom that an athlete puts out merely to win a wreath. So then believers ought to willingly practice self-discipline with a focus on bringing others to Christ because they were running toward an eternal prize. They already have won. The prize is not dependent on how they run the race because they already are assured of the prize. They should live for God with as much focus and enthusiasm as the ancient runners at the old games did. Absolutely. And now we're already at the last question for today. Verses 26 and 27. They read, So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Here's the question. What is the message Paul is working hard to get across in these final verses? Paul not only preached the gospel message and encouraged the believers to self-discipline and self-denial, but he also practiced what he preached. He also had to live by the gospel, and he also practiced 
self-denial like the athletes I spoke of in the last answer. Paul did not run the race aimlessly, nor was he like a boxer who was missing his punches or was shadow boxing. Instead, he kept his eyes focused on the goal, running straight for it with purpose in every step. He didn't allow himself to be sidetracked, and he did not waste time becoming lazy. He kept on disciplining and training his body. Paul pictured life as a battle. Believers must not become lazy, for Satan seeks to cause them to stumble. Sin continues to buffet, and sorrow and pain are a daily reality. Instead of being bound by their bodies, believers must diligently discipline themselves in their Christian lives in order to stay in shape. Now that begs another question. What does Paul mean in verse 27 that he might be disqualified? Can you explain that? Well, when Paul said that he might be disqualified, he did not mean that he feared losing his salvation, only that he would be disqualified from receiving rewards from Christ. This passage describes the spiritual maturation process, the period of growth during believers' lives on earth when they are living in the world while not being of it. The time between a person's acceptance of Christ as Savior and his or her death is the only time when growth in Christ can occur. Paul wanted to grow diligently and receive a reward from Christ at his return. Paul did not want to be like the person who builds his life or her life with shoddy materials, only to be saved, as chapter 3, verse 15 said, someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Absolutely true. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of today's study already. We've been talking about discipline in the Christian life. So let's recap what we talked about. Today, we considered the importance of discipline in the Christian life. Through Paul's example, we saw how important this characteristic can be in spreading the gospel. Next time, we're going to study 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 34, and we'll discover what Paul said about the nature of the Lord's Supper and what it means to the Christian community. It's going to be a wonderful time, another great issue to talk about. I hope you'll join us. Thanks for taking time to join me today. I so appreciate your time, and I hope that you have an amazing rest of your day and week. To God be the glory for it all. I'll see you right back here next time. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.